Hello, Scotty. Hello, Mr. Fox. It is a joy to have you in my ears again. There's no place I'd rather be but banging loudly in your ears. Even I am speechless at that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that was a little bit off. Maybe I should drink coffee before trying to record. (laughs) Or maybe you shouldn't. Maybe it's a benefit. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. How are you this week, sir? Uh, you know, never better. Everything is awesome, right? No, things seem springier, and I've noticed, you know, increased bird song about the city, and 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 you know, um, more people out and about, and seeming to be happier. And with the CDC guidelines, people are starting to take off their masks if they're outside, although people are still nervous if they actually can. How about in sunny Britain? Well. The word sunny might be stretching it a little bit, although it is sunny out of, my, out of my window right now. We're going through one of those periods where we tend to have all four seasons in, in one day. Um, I went out for a, a run this afternoon, and when I left the house, it was it was nice and sunny. And well, out there was torrential rain of a monsoon level, and when that wasn't enough, it started hailing. Um, and now I've got back home and the sun is out again, so... Um, yeah, it's sunny as long as I'm inside. Hmm. But uh, no, it so, is. It is. It is a. It is. You know, the leaves are back on the trees. The um, you know, the birds they say are, are are singing loudly. There's small birds in the nests, and it's um, yeah, the world is looking like a pretty place, and uh, people are beginning to mill around in it again. And if it wasn't for the, uh, most people here are still wearing masks, um, but the masks are the only giveaway at the moment now that things are still different. Hmm. Interesting. Well, Scotty, um, we had some uh, some some feedback out there on on the on the Twitter on the Twitter on the Twitter plane. There we go, um, and it made me rethink uh, our whole mission because our best friend, my best friend, your your sworn enemy, Gayor, suggested that we are very good at tailoring a podcast to a tiny audience. So we managed to amuse a tiny number of fractional listeners, and so maybe that's what we should do instead of. Be lamenting the fact that we have an, you know, a, a, a huge audience of partial listeners. Maybe it's the possibility. Maybe it's possible that we just have a wrapped audience of, of one and a half people. <laughs> maybe we should just actually get them to fill in a survey form so we know their names, mm. and then just name each show by their name, so it makes it easier for them to work out which ones they should listen to. <laughs> well, you know, we this should week, do like, like episode a episode two nine three, Georg. <laughs> Well, no, I think I think we need to make it a little bit more sophisticated. That we should like add some things. We will sing happy birthday, taunt, you know, complain, make fun of their name, something like that. But well, Scotty, Scotty, can I tell you about my latest uh, my latest adventures in AV mutable composition? Okay, does it does it need a bit of a build up? Um, yeah, kind of like you know, a car if it's going to go over a cliff needs some forward momentum. Okay. John's latest adventures in mutable composition, <laughs> episode two hundred and forty-six point three. Roll fully. <laughs> no, actually, it was surprising. So this is like one of those rare instances. This ever happened to you? It almost never, never, ever, ever happens to me. Where you write a method, start to finish, and then you try it out, and it actually works properly the first time. I was stunned. I was utterly stunned. And so this is what I was trying to do is I wanted a mechanism to be able to load a folder full of, of images that have, you know, a sort ordering on them. So it'd be like image 001, image 002, so on and so forth, dot PNG or whatever. Um, 
And so, and then I wanted to be able to include them in the, the video output from a mutable composition. So it has to be done with keyframe animation. And by now I've done it enough time that I, I think I actually get it and I can explain it to people. But you know, the, 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 the gist of it is, is to get the timing right. You always have to express time in terms of fractions of the total duration. So if your animation lasts 10 seconds, you have to tell the keyframe animation that the total duration is, is 10 seconds. But then you have to pass it an array of keys and values, and so the 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 the, the or, or timing rather. So the time will be an NS number, which represents the fraction of the total time when you want the 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 value to change to something. So if you want something to appear on screen, you know, at, at five seconds in, and your total duration is is ten seconds, then you have to pass a value of of zero point five or not point five, as you you weirdos would say. Um, and so, you know, you, once you, you get that, that basic for it, it becomes a lot easier to figure things out. And so what I did is, is created a method that you could just pass it the name of a folder and it would then look to find the folder and then it would use the file manager to be able to get the contents of the folder and then into an array and then you'd sort the array and the, the default sorting works if, if you have numbers like 000 and it's important that it has padding because if you did just one, two, three, and then 10, it wouldn't work so you always have to remember to have padding um and then then you tell you pass it in a duration how long you want the animation to to make and so long as you always pass along the total duration it becomes possible to to um, figure things out so the total duration of the animation would then be in function to the number of items that number of images that you found in your folder so you can it becomes easy to to set up um to, to create your arrays of, of times and values to, to, and then the times and values do whatever you want. So if you're swapping an image, you're basically trading the, you're, 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 you're changing the content. Um, anyway, um, I don't know if anybody's terribly interested, I suppose I could, I could paste in a, a, a sample of it, but it was like one of those things where it unlocked a lot of, of, of possibility for, for experimentation because all you really then need to do is like, well, what type of animation do you want to put in there? Do you want to put, you know do you want to put some circling neon glow or do you want to do something else whatever it is but it's pretty easy to ask a a an artist to be able to give you a a sequential number of images because many animation tools allow you to output them and so they do their comps and they say what should it look like they output it and part of the reason why you might want them from from the designer in pixel format and PNG format is because, you know, programmatically, of course, you can do whatever you want. But if you want to do something that's like, you know, a neon brush where it's a glow, that's not really something you can do yourself with vector animation. You would have to drop down to a, a level that I don't know. I, I honestly don't know how you do it. I'm sure it can be done. But when you're doing keyframe animation, you have to lay out by video. You still have no choice but to actually output each, sequ each sequential image. And, and doing it programmatically would be pretty hard. So it's much better to be able to have a mechanism where you can say, give me a folder of these images and I don't care how long, the, how many there are. I just need to know how long it should be animated or, you know, you can experiment with speed. If you have a lot of them, you can make, you know, 120 of them disappear in one second, two seconds, five seconds. doesn't really matter. You just need to change your math a little bit. And then um, when I was sharing that with my colleagues, the you know and I explained that how it worked that you had to you know enumerate all the contents of a directory and create an, a UI image out of each one stuff that in array people was like oh my god you're going to blow up the memory it's like no actually not and this is an interesting thing that that I that I have with some colleagues when I say 
I think Apple spends a lot of time <laughs> optimizing their own methods. They have to because they use them and because that's their responsibility. So UI image, as a matter of course, if you create a UI image from a, a, a file URL, it, it may be tempted, you know, sometimes you may do something where you, you test to see if it loaded properly by logging something or just stopping the debugger and, 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 and printing it out, for example. And so then if you print out a UI image that you've loaded from disk, it will, for instance, show you what the, 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 what the dimensions are. And you think, oh, okay, that's great. I know it's working. And then you think, oh, my God, that's terrible because it has it in memory. It's like, well, no, actually not, because you can read just the metadata portion of an image before you actually read the pixel data because it's smart enough to know that it doesn't really need the pixel data, which is the real you know, big part of an, an image, the expensive part of it, especially if it's been compressed, which it almost certainly has been, you know, to uncompress it and put it into memory, then that your little 56K image on disk may end up being, you know, several hundred uh, K when it's been decompressed, maybe even more. But UI image knows not to do that because it's smart and clever like that. So even though you have a lot of image to work with and even though you might instantiate a bunch of them, they're not going to become expensive until needed. And if you're passing them along as the, the content for a layer and the layer doesn't change, it's smart enough to know that once, you know, one, one image that has been set at the, as the contents of a layer is, dis is, is gone because it's been replaced by someone else, it knows it can deallocate. It doesn't need anything. So... Um, and then you can verify that by looking at the memory footprint of your app. And so um, I was just very, very pleased with this. Even my colleagues would say, oh, this is really interesting. I see you can do lots of different things with it. So I was very happy with myself, Scotty. That's how I am. We like it when there is a happy John. Mm -hmm. A happy John is a happy John. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> a happy no, a happy John is is a force for good in the universe, whereas a frustrated, you know, an unhappy, <laughs> an unhappy Scotty is merely not frustrated. It is, and and this stuff you say it really, it's just stuff you learn by experience, isn't it? Really, just to yeah, mm. you know, when to, you know, when to just accept, yeah, this is the way it is, and you know, therefore live with it, or just when when to understand, um, uh, you know, actually, if I dig a bit deeper i might realize there's something else here i remember when i first came to developing on the mac in around 2005 2006 um you know back when there were very few resources around um on developing um hence why i initially started a podcast back in those days um because it was a way of getting free advice from people by having them as guests on the show uh but the sort of mantra always was, and this is obviously pre-iPhone, it was only when you had um, AppKit or Coco, as it was called, uh, still is called, I guess. Um, it says, if it feels like you're fighting Coco, then you're doing it wrong because it should just feel smooth. And I think, th I think that is possibly a little less true as things have become more complicated. I think because sometimes Apple have had to take complex stuff and fit it into uh, an older architecture. And again, particularly maybe on AppKit, um, but these days, I mean, I guess uh, UIKit is old enough that this is working now that even sometimes the own frameworks feel like they're fighting a little bit with the base frameworks. So I'm not quite sure that's as true as it used to be, but I still think there is an, an element of that truth that if it, yeah, if you're writing lots of code and it feels like um, you're having to work around the system itself, then the possibility is you're missing something. Uh, and uh, I guess the key is then learning how to discover what it is you're missing. Yeah. 
Well, so it was it was satisfying, and I had forgotten about that. I think the other thing too is 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 the whole case of don't optimize until you know you have to, because you may end up spending so much time thinking about it, and you end up making the code that you're using so much more difficult to understand and and use, and you may not you may not make it at all more optimized. In fact, you may end up making it worse. So yeah, yeah. I mean, again, this is a difficult one, isn't it? As well, because you always in the past could assume that. The engineers at Apple had, you know, had done a really good job and we could do a, and done a better job than you could do on anything. So if you were trying to make their own routines better, you're probably going to fail. However, mm-hmm. I think again, as all of these APIs have grown, and this isn't necessarily a reflection on the engineers. This is a case of well, as systems get bigger and more complicated, this just happens. I think sometimes now um, that isn't always true, that you can't improve the way something works. But however, I do not think it should be your default approach because often you will be wrong and often it has been done the best way it can be done. And of course, Apple engineers have access to low-level routines that we don't. Um, But yeah, pre-optimization is bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because I I think it's it's not that we don't need to optimize and I think we do often need to optimize. I just think we regularly optimize in the wrong place. Um, mm. So I think the approach should be do it the simplest way it can be done, then use instruments and measure it. And if, if, it, or if it's fast enough, great. Making sure you test it with suitably impressive data, be that the size of the data, the volume of the data, the quantity of the data, whatever it is that's going to stress that stuff. Um, and, it, and you might find it's plenty fast enough. Um, and then in other cases, um, it's uh, you know it's not. In which case, that's where you get instruments out and find out where your real bottleneck is, uh, and make it work. Indeed, indeed. Well, Scotty, now that we've dissected my success, let's go ahead and and um, consult the entrails of of your failure. Well, I don't know about failure. <laughs> um, oh, Scotty. Dil- yeah. Okay. So, Moneywell is a an old-style core data app. Now, um, just in case there are people out there who don't know how core data works, it's a, you know, it's an object store rather than a database. Um, you can make as many changes to uh, objects in the store as you like, and, and they'll all, all those changes will be in memory. And um, none of those changes get actually persisted to the database until you you save the context, the object context, you know, the area of memory that these objects are in. And uh, that's the way it works. And basically, these whole, the save of the whole context has to work or it fails. So obviously, uh, within core data, there's always been this um, debate about how often do I persist? Because obviously, if you allow, you know, a thousand changes to the store and one of them is wrong and then you try and persist it, you know, you will have 999 good changes that won't get persisted either, and you have to find the change that's wrong. If you persist to the store after every single change, you'll know exactly which changes failed, but that's actually really inefficient way of doing it uh, and the balance to it. Um, and uh, Manuel has an old-style UI where everything is driven by uh, bindings, uh, connected to 
the managed objects that come from core data. So when you type into the text field, it automatically updates the um, uh, the managed object uh, that represents whatever it is, an account, a transaction, whatever it might be. Um, and much of the UI is has this sort of, you know, there's no concept of open a dialog box, make your changes and press save or cancel. It's just change something, it's changed. So you might stick a, select a transaction in the list. It appears in the inspector on the right. You change one number and everything updates. And then you change another part of it and everything updates. And there's no concept of pressing done or cancel. And it relies very heavily on um, uh, coordinators pretty excellent uh, undo system where you can just keep on going doing those changes back again um, and, and the whole UI is dependent on that and that that's that's sort of great in many ways but equally it's it's less great because uh, it's because it's not going through any sort of if you have the process of pressing an edit button it opens more like it would be in in iOS, where you press the edit button or uh, at the top of the screen. It opens a new view controller, um, puts all the fields up. You edit it, you make the change, and at the end you press save. You've got a very distinct set of things going on, and you can make choices about when to save. When your UI is not working that way, you know people could be making changes all over the place and doing different transactions, and then working out when to persist the data is you know. Um, is is difficult and because of some syncing issues i'm working on and whatever else i've been trying to work out you know is there any way of knowing when a good time to persist the data is uh right now um by default when you it doesn't do it until you either close the window or you switch away from the window uh, which might mean you've got a lot of changes in there and um uh that's not necessarily good and of course until you persist them to the disk they will not sync anywhere else um and so there is you know there is a chance if someone's only working on one budget so they only have one window open that they could sit there all day working on it and it never gets saved and then it could get lost in a crash and equally it's never going to appear on their partner's iphone or whatever else the work they're doing but trying to find where a determined to deterministic place to fit a save into undeterministic UI is um, quite difficult. I actually don't like that UI personally. I would much prefer the um, as a user press edit, take the change, press save or cancel when I'm happy or not happy with the change. But that's a bit of a paradigm shift. Not sure how current users will accept that. Not done any research on it. So yeah. So basically, my my uh, well, not weak, but my my last day or two has been basically procrastinating on what the best way of doing this is. That is a tricky thing because, you know, as you were explaining it, I'm remembering how magic that is because it really was a big change in, in the way apps work. It's like, where's the save buttons? Like you, you wouldn't think to do it, especially, I mean, memory miner, you're making changes all the time and, and you would hate it if it, if you didn't capture it, if for whatever reason, something crashed or, or, you know, your, your computer froze up and you're, and you're you know, writing these great magnum opuses or however, you, whatever the plural of that is. Um, and it would suck. But I, I also understand if you've got syncing going on, 
that could be terrible. I mean, you type a character and it forces a save and now there's, which you can magically make happen on a fast on-disk database for one machine, but the number of sync events to other devices could could be a, a denial of service attack on, on the, the one Mac 512 running hypercard that, that is is your back-end service. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to reveal your, your dirty little secret about that, but but no, all joking aside, it is probably true that on a, on an original running on an original one two eight k Macintosh, yeah. Uh, so you know uh, that that's got to be a big issue. So then, it, it, you know, since it is window based and document based, right? Because each window is its own document. You know, I can imagine a potential solution is to to have something that that's that's kind of looks like you know a tax application. It's tax season. You know, I, I filed my <laughs> I was working on taxes over the weekend. And it's the kind of the same thing. They they don't you know they always they always will save state when you exit the web page and kind of show you what the the what things are whether you're getting a refund whether you owe money where you are on the phase. But there's always this concept of we're going to take you through this long step and then when you're done you file taxes. So it's 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 where it, you know you can think of the submitting of it as somewhat like the sync. So I can almost imagine, you know, saying that, you know, we'll save locally all the time so that you don't have to. But if you want to begin the sync, you know, enforce the sync, you could do it. Otherwise, we'll do it when the window closes. Now, I don't know whether that helps or not, but that idea of of, of telling users, reminding them that their their data is safe, but they also have a hand in 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 something else. I don't know whether that, that makes sense and whether you ever want to have users of a consumer software ever have to figure it out. But I think if, if absent that, then you might have to think about something like when do you actually send a sync operation? Because, you know, the weird thing is you could you can definitely imagine somebody who's a reviewer or a tester could get two or three devices and then test to see. It's like, I'm going to make a transaction. Let's see if it shows up in the other one. And they'll say, no, it doesn't. And, you know, but then all they will have done is, is one keystroke, a trivial change. And maybe that's not the thing to do. So it's a weird thing. I don't envy you. Uh, for, for once, I'm going to be um, uncharacteristically kind towards you and say, you have a really difficult problem. And I, maybe I should stop being so so mean towards you about like you know what have you what have you broken this week scotty i should like scotty how how is your challenging situation progressing what can i do to lend a supportive ear see i think i don't like the parad i mean i know why the apps firm that started around you know, 2007 ish to out to like 2012 ish on the mac very much worked this way because bindings were the in thing this is the way bindings work this is the way you know there is no sort of concept of you know the changes are just all going on, flying around. And, um, yeah, but I think, yeah, what I have found using Menomo myself is when that happens and there is no concept of saying edit, save, or cancel, you can accidentally change data without knowing it. You know, you just t- you touch a, you know, you, you, you know, lean on a key on the keyboard while the cursor is in, uh, you know, a, um, uh, the payee field, and suddenly the transaction is now... And because everything auto-generates, you've now created a new payee called XYZZZ or whatever. Um, mm. So I, 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 I don't think, personally, I don't think the paradigm is right full stop, I think. You know, but then again, you know, this takes us back to our, our conversation of you know, however many weeks ago that we're trying to be incredibly pragmatic and get something out the door based on what we have. And changing the whole editing paradigm of the app is not necessarily the way of doing that. Um, but then again, when you're sat there thinking, well, to make this work properly with syncing and we want to do it 
I've got to spend several days doing this, uh, which is actually to make something work with a whole paradigm I don't like. <laughs> you know, is that still actually a good use of my time? Um, and there is no right or wrong answer to this. Um, and I think what it does do um, is it creates a little bit sometimes of engineering paralysis of not wanting to do this work because you think it's a wasted work, but equally the alternative work is longer and you sometimes need to do the shorter stuff. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, so I haven't screwed it all up, John, but maybe let's just say I failed to succeed again this week so far. <laughs> failed to succeed? Well, they're <laughs> the new self-hurt podcast by Scotty and John. There's the title. Wow. Um. Well, so what else, Scotty, or can I can I now brag about something else? Wow, this we should just call it John's brag. This show, shouldn't we? Okay, brag away. We can brag away. Well, no, I've shipped. You know, as far as I can tell, the the version of the app thirteen point two eight is out there in the universe, and it contains all the changes for uh, dynamic type on our display pages. Now, I haven't I haven't tweeted about it, but I will tweet about it and and uh, put that in the show notes so people can see. Um, but I am proud. It's nice to see it out there in the universe. I ended up making some some last you know last minute last minute ish changes, um, but did bring up a, a question uh, with with colleagues, which is an interesting thing because on the one hand, you know, Apple tries to say, "Oh, dynamic type it can be made really simple. All you do is is check this checkbox and IB or implement this method on your UI labels, and then you think, okay, you're done because the labels the UI labels is able to you know ask." Um, or to, to to listen for the notifications when a person's preferred content size has changed. So you think, oh, that's all you have to do. But it's a little bit more complicated than that because for, for two reasons. There's one is that, yes, of course, the labels are the ones that, that hold the, the text, but a change in preferred content size may also require you to do some other things to scale other aspects of the UI, not the least of which is the icons that may go around it, the image that may go around it, the the thickness uh, you know of a of a line if you're drawing something the the radius of 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 uh, a rounded corner all these different things so you it, and the other thing is that uh, changes in labels will of course you know invalidate a layout uh, you know especially for for cells in some type of scrolling view um, and the timing of that is also very very important because if you change the layout you might you might have a problem because you might have an animation that starts from from an item you know let's say a, a, the icon of a button and you press that button and an animation proceeds from that it may even reference reference the image that's in that button and then does something and then it wants to land back so if the process of 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 doing that changes the layout um, and forces you know, forces something to scroll, then your animation may not land properly. So there, so in other words, you, you may need to carefully control when you react that to that change. Um, and it may be that you need to react higher up in the, in the stack, higher up in the containing object in the cell or the, the collection view, or even the view controller that hosts it. So there's not, there's, it's not as simple as, as, as Apple may make it seem, or as your colleagues may want to make it seem. So, um, but in the end, I, I I think it's good, and it what what's going to be nice about it is that just it does really help a wide range of of users. You know, as I've said earlier, um, these preferred content sizes also have three sizes below the the, the regular size, which makes it smaller because some people have eagle eyed vision and may want to pack more into a screen. So I'm trying to find the easiest way to present this, and I'm probably going to end up with an animated GIF because that will image properly in 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 Twitter and Slack and other places rather than having to load a video that you then have to press play on. Um, but we'll see how it works out in the universe. Um, 
but I am happy with it. Well, congratulations. Shipping is always good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have shipped this week as well. I've shipped twice this week. Oh, right. But mm-hmm. client software I can't talk about, so I have to just, just you know, just tell you that I'm amazing as well. I know you're amazing. All right. Well, I'm going to ask then uh, your forbearance to say one more thing um, for our listening audience, because this is something that's been on my mind. May I do that, Scotty? You don't need my permission, John. Go ahead. All right. Well, so I posted something on LinkedIn yesterday as a result of having had a, a, a you know, a meeting um, with some folks uh, at work. And, you know, people know I work at a big company. So in corporate America these days, um, there are things called employee resource groups. And these are affinity groups that help people who who share common concerns. There may be like, you know, parents at Netflix or black at Netflix or, you know, uh, so on and so forth. But one of the ones I belong to is something called SWANA Plus, which is a way of referring to a geographic area that comprises, you know, like cultures and societies. So it covers kind of, it, it's more, it, it's more accurate than to just say Middle East because uh, it covers, you know, it's an acronym that sounds for, for Southwest Asia and North, North Africa. So it, you know, comprises everything North Africa all the way up to, to like Turkey and, and, and Iran and, and, and whatnot. And, because of what's happening now in, in Israel and Palestine right now, the, 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 you know, the war that's breaking out, it's another example of where you have colleagues who, you know, you, you have to give forbearance for. It's like, you, you, you know, I, I, I don't have a direct connection to it other than a cultural affinity of it owing to, to the fact that my grandfather's Egyptian. But it's not like I have, you know, you know family living in Gaza or Tel Aviv. And, and right now there's just terrible destruction that's going on. And, you know, nobody ever wants to talk about that one in particular because it's so fraught with, like, you say something that you're immediately going to be pegged as an anti-Semite or, you know, not caring about Palestinians and so on and so forth. So I kind of landed that, that pointing out something that a lot of groups have been saying for a long time is that as, as corporate environments become more, more diverse you then realize that, you know, the, your black colleague who is concerned because his teenage son is the same age and looks like, the, you know, some kid who's been shot, you know, and is in the news or somebody whose family back home is, is running into to huge problems or, you know, and you, you, can, you can extrapolate the scenarios. And it's a very difficult thing because you don't really normally want to talk about non-work things at work. But on the other hand, if you don't acknowledge things that people are going 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 through it doesn't seem human either so i don't know that was just my my way of saying that uh, if you if you're listening to this and you work at a large company chances are you have people who are at any given time are going through a, a lot of stress and of course everybody goes through a lot of stress but the difference between some of the stresses that you might have some of the stresses other people have is that your stresses may pass. It may be something to deal with parenting, but you walk down the street and if, you know, let's be frank about it, you know, you're, you're a white male, you kind of, you, you, you walk through life pretty easily. I don't worry about my safety when I walk down the street. I don't, you know, in general, I don't, if I go into a, a, a shop, I don't, it doesn't ever dawn on me that somebody may be looking at me and wondering if I'm going to shoplift and so on and so on and so forth. So kind of, I think it's important to acknowledge it. I'm going to be quiet now because this is pretty far afield, but it was important to me to say, and it's been on my mind. Thank you, Scotty. I think it is important. And I think it's equally a incredibly complex area to get right. It requires, Hmm. yeah, that, that balance between freedom of expression. Well, that balance of tolerance and understanding, Hmm. um, uh, 
the ability to make comments. Yeah, the trouble is when you're sat in the in the pub having a conversation with your mates, you you speak and you can say things, and most of the time on any subject any person speaks on, me anyway. You don't have all the knowledge. You don't have the whole picture. Mm-hmm. You're speaking from the bits you know, and that's um you know and but because you're with your your friends, it tends to be an assumed thing and makes it a safe space to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, but the difficulty is when you have those conversations in a wider context, and particularly then a place that's not necessarily your social context, such as work, be that through the online systems or direct in the office with people, um, that understanding of who people are, you know, you know, he always says that type of thing or whatever else, all that sort of give and take is gone not not because anyone's doing anything wrong just because it can't be there um mm. there and it and it just makes it make, makes everything a little bit more delicate which means then you have to maybe be a lot more careful which isn't such a bad thing in the way you say things but then sometimes when everyone's being very careful you end up actually skirting round things instead of dealing with them because if nobody wants to offend or upset anybody else quite rightly um but in your in 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 the attempt to do that, you don't actually end up dealing with the things you're trying to deal with or understand or do with. And I think it all comes down to, and this is what I think, you know, the debate is lacking on every side available, is I think I think we need to learn to have more tolerance for when people are wrong. Mm. Uh, and hopefully, you know, assume that if they're saying certain things, uh you know, which are sort of heading roughly in the right direction, but they're saying wrong things to give the benefit of the doubt, to give to give some slack. Because otherwise, yeah. I think there's a lot of fear that if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to upset somebody. Or equally, if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to be attacked both ways. Depends on the environment you're in. And I think until we can learn to uh, somehow create safe space, the same it would be if we were sat around a pub table with our friends, um, this is going to be a hard one to solve. And I, and I think yeah. maybe it's, we would never be able to do that because I, you know, in a in a corporate environment, I'm not sure that's even possible. No, it's probably not. And and the thing that's reminding me, I think eight eight, eight will round it out with this. You know, the sun is shining. People are starting to be able to be out about, and and we're returning to something that you might refer to as the as normal, but really it's the new normal, and things have had to change. And I think one of the things that definitely changed was people having to work at home, and then invariably you you kind of see the flaws because you, you'd show up in an office at work and nobody has any reason to know, you know, anything about, well, about your home life in any re- respect, but then comes zoom. And if nothing else, there was a time before, you know, uh, background backgrounds or, or blurring filters and stuff like that. You know, if you wanted to show your face, which you really wanted to, you had no choice, but then to things to, 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 to people learned a little bit more. And, and I think that that's good. And then, and then as more people understand, it's like everybody's going through this major stressful situation from having to work at home, from having to be concerned about loved ones and, and yourself and so on and so forth. It really did open up something which I don't think can be turned off anymore. I don't think we can go back to work, whether it's small groups or, or large companies, and not have to have some minimum viable understanding of the the pressures that people go on, you know, they, they go on in people's lives and how that absolutely is going to end up affecting, you know, work. There's no way that you can get around it. So 
you know, you can, it, it, then it never hurts to, to at least ask or to, to have that in the back of your mind. I think that's the simplest way of doing it. And, you know, there's nothing, I don't think anybody can, can say it's like, wow, I, as a parent, I have a hard time wrapping my head around what it's like for a parent in, in, in a, in a war zone. Cause then it, you know, it's like, that's gotta be terrible. And, 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 and I, you know, it just by, just by saying it, you're not, you're kind of shielding yourself from, from making judgment. You're just doing something, attaching a, a human observation. And that's, I think is, that's a safish way to, to, to go, but we can talk about yeah. this stuff for hours. And, yeah, and, it's and, very hard. Um, I've, I've been in stand-up yeah. meetings when I was working with a European team, people in Eastern Europe, uh, in a country that was having particular troubles. You know, and you know, someone left stand up early because there were tanks coming down the street and had begun firing shells. That's not something I can even mm-hmm. have a you know slight comp- comprehension of. Anyway, John, we should probably wrap up. So, yeah. Um, yeah. why why don't you uh, tell people where they can um, where they can get hold of you and uh, share their thoughts on the, the the highs and the lows of your week? Well. We can we where where all high and low conversation takes place. If you know Scott is on Twitter, and you can find me on Twitter as Jembe. That's D J E M B E, like the West African drum. And Scotty, where can people give you the loving encouragement that they need? Which is my way of saying, Georg, lay off Scotty for at least this one week, and everyone else, please be nice. Where might they do that? Well, they can do it at the place where all love happens, and that's on Twitter, huh. where I am <laughs> Mac Devnet, and yes. I would love Georg to send me nice messages. Georg, I'll buy you a beer if you're nice to Scotty. Georg, the word was nice. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Which is a horrible (laughs) word, but we're going to use it again. Nice. (laughs) Oh, well, John, it's it's been um, great to talk to you again this week. Hopefully, whoever was listening this week has... uh, um, had their their nap and um the world is good for them so uh, thank you very much for listening and until next time you take care and be nice Thank you.